0: Amen. Thank you for your giving. Well, for those of you who are, that were here last Sunday, you remember that I took a departure from our sermon series uh, for the sake of Vacation Bible School and, and uh, preached something a little different last Sunday, but we're going to get back to our sermon series today. And uh, the notes that I gave you for your smart app on your phone... Um, The ones from last Sunday I updated with today's date, so you can still follow along. We are in Nehemiah chapter number 2 as we resume the sermon series that we've entitled Rebuilding the Church. And by the way, before I go any further, it's good to see Bill Wesley with us this morning. Bill, we've been praying for you. Glad to see you're here today. You had a terrible fall, and you're looking pretty good for all that happened, it sounds like. So we're grateful that you're here today. Uh, Nehemiah chapter number 2, I want to begin reading with verse number 11. Now this is Nehemiah speaking. He says, I went to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by the valley went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were there who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. We've already mentioned in past segments of this sermon series that Nehemiah was one of the best leaders in all of history in my estimation. And the reason for this extended study into the life of this man named Nehemiah is because anyone who is, who is willing to follow some of the principles that are put forth in this biography, so to speak, of Nehemiah and his rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, any one of us who follow those principles can also become great leaders. And the thought that I want us to focus on today is this, any church... Our church needs more leaders. Amen? Now I know you think I'm going to pick you to be the next one. Well, I just might. But we need to be building leaders within our church. You know why? Because those of us who are already in leadership positions, we're not going to be here forever. And if Jesus delays his coming... If he delays his coming, his return, uh, I don't want to look around and say, where's Trinity Faith Church? You know, my goal is, and this is why our church is always in need of developing new leadership. None of us are going to be here forever. And if, as I said, if Jesus delays his return, my fervent hope is that Trinity Faith Church will be a stronger Bigger and more effective church 50 years from now than it is today. Now, just in case you're wondering, I don't plan on being here 50 years from now. I plan on having church in heaven, and Jesus is going to be my pastor. Amen. But Nehemiah had some walls to build. We today have a church to build. It's the body of Christ, the family of God. It's not a building, it's the people. And we need to build that church, build the kingdom of God by adding to the church. I even like the idea of multiplying the church to make sure that everyone in our community has experienced the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our entire focus. That's our our reason for being. Now, there are some of you in this room that are still in the process of building a family. There are others of us in this room that are involved in building a business or building a marriage. Uh, Melissa has a youth group to build. Ashley has a children's ministry to build. And, and they, along with those youth and those children, are in the process of building that church that will be here 50 years from now, if, again, if Jesus delays his return. Now, I believe that there are are many other leaders in the church that we've not identified yet. Many future leaders whom we need to begin the process of developing them into future leaders of the church. Not only do we have all of the above things that I mentioned to, to build, but all of us have lives to build. We're parents, we're grandparents, we haven't been given the task of... Of influencing and shaping little lives, younger lives than we are. And, and that's true of each and every one of us, regardless of what our role in life is, we're all in the build business of one of two things. We're either leading people to heaven or we're allowing them to go to hell. Now, that may seem rather stark and, and forward, but it's the truth. Without the good news of Jesus, people are punching their ticket for eternity in hell. And I, I want it to be said of Trinity Faith Church that no one in this community can, get to, to, can go to hell without having to go through Trinity Faith Church to get there. You know what? I, I want to have an impact on them. I, I want to change that destination. Because Jesus has built for us a glorious eternity with him in heaven. And I plan on spending it there. Amen? Amen? So, here's Nehemiah, he's a Jewish man living hundreds of miles away from his home in Jerusalem, living in, in captivity in a place called Babylon, and he's heard about the walls of the Jerusalem, the city of God. They're lying in ruins. The gates have been burned, and and this news devastates Nehemiah. And and so we've talked about in our last sessions, uh, he he prays and he weeps and and he plans for 120 days, and then a miracle takes place. The king he serves under as a cupbearer actually breaks his own law and gives Nehemiah permission to go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the walls that have been torn down. King gives him protection, form of an armed guard that will go with him, and then he gives him all of the provisions that he will need to do this task. And so after these 120 long days of of praying and planning, Nehemiah now has everything he needs from the king in one 10-minute conversation. And that brings us to today. What I want to give you today is this thought. When God opens a door, no man can shut it. And when God closes the door, no man can kick it down. Nehemiah goes from being the cupbearer to the king, to being the contractor for a renovation project, and more importantly, becoming God's anointed leader of the people who are to assist him in this project. So I want to share with you this morning what I see as being principles of leadership that we can apply to developing future leaders in the church that Jesus is building through us. And by the way, for those of you who are looking at your notes in the smart app, don't ever give me two weeks <laughs> because I change everything. So some of the, it's basically going to be the same stuff, just in different language uh, because as I've thought about it, I've thought of better ways to say it. So don't hold that against me. But the first point that I want to make is this. Leaders understand the value of solitude. Maybe I should say it this way. Leaders understand the value of getting alone with God. Leaders spend lots of time alone. If you look at picture, uh, verses 11 through 16 that we read from. You'll see that it's a picture of Nehemiah's solitude. Nehemiah is a guy who is awake while everyone else is sleeping. I found that most of us today don't like to be alone. We're used to constant conversation and companionship. Let me just say it this way we're used to noise. We're used to something going on. Even when we're in a car by ourselves, we can't stand the silence. So what do we do? We turn on the radio. I've seen posts from from teenagers on Facebook in recent months saying something like this. I'm bored. It's been over five minutes since I heard from anyone. And then they have this acronym that says P-U-T-P. Anybody know what that stands for? Pick up the phone. In other words, call me. We don't like being alone. If we're at home alone, many of you, I'm guessing, have to have the TV on even though you're not paying attention to it directly. Many of you have the TV on when you're vacuuming and you can't hear it. We don't like silence. Even in my office. There have been times when my computer's blipped out or the power goes off. And I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do now? Talk to God? You know, I I mean, it's like it's a novel thought. (laughs) Time spent in prayer and planning is always recovered in performance. Let me say that again. Time spent in prayer and planning will always be recovered in performance. Now let me build on that for just a little bit. What I'm saying is none of us should rush into a day without having first spent time in prayer. Time alone with God. As I was preparing this message a few weeks ago, I came across a poem by a lady named Regina Baldemar. And she really says it best. And I'll do my best to read it as a poet. She says, I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't have time to pray. Troubles just tumbled about me and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, why child, why didn't you knock? I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, you didn't seek. So I woke up early this morning and paused before entering my day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. What great words. You know, we've heard it said, and most often we've we've associated what i'm getting ready to say with giving but i'm going to say it here with a different thought process in mind you can't outgive god if you give god time each day god will give you more back he will elijah if you'll remember found himself discouraged needing god so what did he do he got alone with god on a high mountain And as he was alone with God, he heard a mighty wind, but he didn't find God in the wind. Then he heard a great, then he experienced a great earthquake, rumbled with a powerful noise, but God wasn't in the earthquake, the scripture says. And then a fierce fire swept through, but God wasn't in the fire. But then the scriptures tell us, then came a still, small voice. It was the voice of God. In the quiet, we receive power from God. The prophet Isaiah said, most of you heard this scripture and it's a great scripture. Chapter number 40, verse number 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know how you can run and not grow weary and walk and not worry about fainting? Spend time alone with God. Find the power and the strength that comes from that relationship that you have with God. Now, Now, Nehemiah, he knew that this undertaking was impossible. He knew that those walls were not going to get rebuilt without the power of God and I can say the same thing about Trinity Faith Church. I'm thirsty to see what God can do if we will all find time alone with God to have a conversation with God about what he wants us to do and about what our individual contributions are to the work that he wants done here at Trinity Faith. Amen? Now, bear with me. How did Moses prepare for the ministry of leading the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage? I'll tell you how he did it. He spent 40 years alone in the desert. God was preparing him. How did the Apostle Paul prepare for ministry to become the world's greatest evangelist? Well, there's just one little verse that tells us about Paul's preparation. It tells us that after he was converted, after he regained his eyesight, after Ananias had prayed for him... Paul went out and spent three years in the Arabian desert. He entered the desert with a knapsack and he came out with the book of Romans. Now, you talk about God's power preparing him for the work. Jesus himself spent 40 days of solitude in the wilderness. What was he doing while he was there? He was praying and fasting to defeat the temptation of the devil. Can I just say this? If Jesus needed time alone with his heavenly father, it just might be a good idea for you and I to find time alone with God. Jesus saw the the value in it. Yeah, I don't have time to give you each and every reference to men and women who spent time with God. But there are seven different references in the four gospels. Telling of Jesus withdrawing himself from the crowds. Getting away into a place of solitude so that he could pray and commune with his heavenly father. What I'm saying to you friends is we'll never have the power. We'll never have the vision in the midst of the noise and clatter of the world that we live in. We have to get alone with God. We have to spend time with him. It was in the eerie solitude of Bethel that Jacob was granted visions from God. It was when Moses was alone in the desert that God spoke to him from a burning bush. It was when Joshua walked unattended under the stars in the heavens at a place called Jericho that the captain of the Lord's host came down and spoke to Joshua It was while Isaiah was alone in the temple that a live coal lifted from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips. And as a result, Isaiah's life was forever changed. It was when Mary was alone that an angel brought to her a message announcing that she was to become the mother of Jesus. It was when Elisha was plowing a a lonely furrow that the prophet Elijah's mantle fell upon his shoulders. Abraham wandered and worshipped alone. Daniel dined and prayed alone. Jesus lived and died alone. There is value in spending times of solitude with God. I mentioned that we... I'm just going to be very real with you here for a minute. Is that okay? I mentioned that we got away this last week. One of my creatures. We got away this last week, and I'd asked the board for time to get away. And please don't take offense to what I'm getting ready to say. But I needed to get away because I was operating more in the spirit of slap than I was the spirit of God. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, I, I just needed to clear my head. Now, I, I, Brenda was with us. Uh, Brenda was with me. Her dad was with us. We even took her dog. And we even timed it right so we could go through Alamosa, Colorado, where Doug and Dana just happened to be, and I knew they would buy my lunch. But up there in the mountains, we had no plans. We had no agenda. We had no schedule. Now, I wasn't on my knees praying and seeking God 100% of the time, but I can tell you I was in the presence of God. I was away from the noise of the office, I was away from the tasks of ministry. And that spirit of slap that I was talking about, that's not your fault. That was mine. Because you get busy doing things and you neglect the important things. You neglect spending time alone just in the Word and meditating before God because you have all of these things that you have to get done. And Melissa and Ashley and Belinda can vouch for the fact that this has been a busy, busy summer. And... Just needed to get away from that. Spend time in the beauty of God's creation. Spend time alone with the person that I love more than any other person in this world. Spend time with no schedule, no no time frame. Got up when I wanted to, went to bed when I wanted to. Took a nap when I had the chance. That's not true. I took several naps when I had the chance. Ate some good food. Just spent time away from the tasks that life has brought. What I'm saying to you is you don't have to. I'm not talking about unless you're just so led to go spend 24 hours on your knees before God. I'm saying just get alone with God. Bask in his presence. Experience his power. A leader will see more in the night than others see in the light. You look here at Nehemiah. He went out when everybody else was asleep. He goes out to survey the task that lays ahead of him. And that brings me to my second principle. Leaders will patiently gather all the facts. Nehemiah is on what I would call a reconnaissance mission. He's carefully surveying the situation firsthand. Now, he's been told that the walls have been torn down. He's been told that the gates have been burned. But he wants to see it for himself. He wants to see it with his own eyes. So while everyone is asleep, Nehemiah gets up and he takes a few men with him for protection. And he goes out and surveys the task that lay ahead. Because leaders don't rush into a project ill-prepared. Before you can lead, you have to learn. Because if you don't, you'll make a mess of things when you try to lead without first doing your homework. Men, some of you might appreciate this. Nobody seems to have the time to do it right, but every time, everybody finds the time to do it over. Guys, how many of you have heard... Measure twice, cut once. You know what that means. And you know how I know how that means? How I know what that means? Because I've had to go back to the lumber yard to get another board because I didn't measure twice before I cut. Preparation. Nehemiah gets up in the middle of the night, takes a few men with him, and they start by the gate of the Kidron Valley. That's along the southwest wall of Jerusalem. And then it says he moves to the Dung Gate, the southeast wall, and then he moves to the gate of the fountain on the northern wall. He's obviously taking a tour around the city. He's making rounds and he's I'm guessing he's taking notes. And I'm guessing he's writing something like this. We're, we're going to need a craftsman on this gate. Uh, the hinges are unusable on, on this gate. We're going to need a carpenter over here uh, where these gates were burned. We're going to need stonemasons back here to build up the wall in this spot. He's making notes of the manpower, the materials, and the money that are going to be needed to do this project. Now, you have heard it said that luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Can I just tell you, Nehemiah wasn't lucky. He was prepared. My belief is, I'm just guessing, most of us here this morning would be shocked if we knew how many opportunities passed by us this past week. You heard me pray a while ago for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. I'm guessing that those opportunities are there all the time. We just don't see them. We're not prepared for them when they come. We likely not only don't recognize it, but a lot of times even if we do recognize it, we don't seize the opportunity. Why? Because we're not prepared. I know this may seem to be a, a very anti-Pentecostal thought, but I'm going to say it. Most of us would rather pray for a miracle from God than, than prepare ourselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? We want God to do something supernaturally so we don't have to go about the work of making it happen naturally. Now, I'm not belittling the fact that, oh, we believe in miracles and we want God to, to do miracles. But often, oft times, we we neglect doing what it takes to prepare ourselves and rather hope and pray that God will just do a miracle and it'll just happen. Are you with me? We'd rather sit around and hope for a miracle in our finances than take a few minutes to budget and do wise financial planning. Oh, that hurt, didn't it? We'd rather ask for other people to get our kids straightened out than to set ground rules of discipline and get off the couch and enforce those rules. I realize that there are times when we're incapable of helping ourselves. In those times, God will work on our behalf, but I also believe that God will only do what He can do after we do what we know to be the right thing to do. Let me give you some examples. You remember in the New Testament, John chapter number 11, a man who was a friend of Jesus named Lazarus died? Remember that story? And Jesus came and and he tells the people to roll away the stone from Lazarus' tomb. And we all know what happened when the people rolled away the stone from the tomb, don't we? Lazarus came out alive. Jesus raised him from the dead a miracle, right? Have you ever wondered why, if Jesus is that powerful, why didn't he just wave his hand and roll the stone away himself? I'll tell you why. He wanted the people to do what they could do before he did what only he could do. Are you with me? It's getting awfully quiet in here. You know, Again, being transparent, early on in my ministry as a pastor, I wanted every opportunity that I could find to preach. I literally jumped at the opportunity to preach at a denomination's general conference in Jackson, Mississippi back in 1996. Jumped at it and couldn't hardly wait until it came to pass. As I look back on that now, I'm thinking I probably sat and waited for the phone to ring with invitations to preach. More often than not, the phone never rang. I, I, I would think, you know, maybe, maybe someone from the Billy Graham crusade will, will come by the church office today and, and tell me that Billy's sick today. Would you mind filling in for him tonight? But instead, God used a wise preacher friend of mine to say to me, after a couple of years of that kind of thinking, Terry, why don't you come to me with, to do a Bible study inside of Ellsworth Correctional Facility. Teach a bunch of those boneheaded convicts how Jesus can deliver them from their addiction, from their, from their alcoholism, from their stinking thinking, and, and set them free. And when I finally did it, my ministry changed Forever. Do you know why? Well, God began taking some steps. First, God put it in my heart to start a program that was called Freedom from Addiction. It was a support group where where I could tell a, a bunch of alcoholics and druggies and perverts how Jesus could deliver them from that addiction, set them free. And for years, God, God wanted me to be willing to do what I could do, what I had been trained to do. And today, He's showing me things that only He can do. Are, are you hearing my heart this morning? Yeah, God is able to do anything. He's able to do everything. But He wants us to do something. He wants us to do something that only we can do with His help. You know, I'm sure that there are many pastors today that would, would love to be in my place right now as your pastor. I'm sure that there are. They, they might even believe, man, that Terry Engler, he's a lucky guy to pastor Trinity Faith Church. Let me tell you something. It's not about luck. The Bible says I'm blessed. You know why I'm blessed? Because God prepared me for many years to do this work that he's now called me to. And if I, had I not done that preparation, God couldn't bless me. Are you hearing me? My goodness, i, I got to hurry. The next principle is leaders keep their eye on the big picture. Verse 15 tells us that, Nehemiah went up in the night by the valley. Other translations say he went by the brook. Now, this would be the brook Kidron, which flows from the Mount of Olives. Nehemiah has, has left his close-up tour of the walls, and he begins to climb this mountain to step back and see the big picture of, of the city of Jerusalem, to be able to, to see all of the walls and all of the gates that need to be repaired. Interestingly enough, hundreds of years later, Jesus himself went up to this same mountain. And he looked out over that city of Jerusalem, and he saw a different kind of ruin. And the ruin that Jesus noticed when he looked out over the city drove Jesus to tears. He said, Jerusalem, if only, if only you had received what I came to give to you. Leaders keep their eye on the big picture. They have to or else they won't be able to see the forest for the trees. What I'm saying to you is, friends, leaders will plan out the details but not get bogged down into the, in the small stuff, the minute details. Nehemiah keeps his eye on the big picture. Now, here's where it gets to where it involves all of us. Nehemiah has to delegate And he has to entrust others with the details while he makes sure that the main project stays on track. I got to tell you, I don't like control freaks. I, I don't like control freaks that have to have their thumb on everything that happens and are not willing to trust anybody else to do some of the stuff that needs to be done. They have to be the one calling the shots. Now the reason I'm telling you that is Nehemiah had to delegate and trust others with the details. I'm sure there have been times when some of you are amazed how you can ask me questions about things going on in the church and I don't have a clue. I'll always try my best to know who will have a clue but there are times when I don't have a clue. For example... Who fixed the refrigerator, Pastor Terry, that was leaking back in the kitchen? What did it cost to fix it? You know what my answer is? I don't know. Go ask Leonard. Or or Pastor Terry, who who fixed the air conditioner on on the left side of the sanctuary that was not working a couple weeks ago? And I'll answer them, well, some guy from Lynn's Heating and Air did it. I don't know. Uh, Hopefully it won't cost very much. All I know is it's working now. Are you you hearing me? I don't have to be involved in every detail. And let me be truthful. I'm thankful that I'm not involved in every detail. Micromanagers and control freaks, not only will they wear out, but they wear me out. Delegate, be willing. To let somebody else shoulder their part of the load. And that brings me to my fourth principle. Leaders choose their words carefully. Look at verse 16. Nehemiah didn't speak until it was time for him to speak. Can I give you the Gospel of Terry version of that? Leaders don't run off at the mouth until they know what they're talking about now I'll use myself as an example I used to think that I had to share every thought that popped into my mind and in all honesty there are times when I still fight that I'd say here's everything I know on this subject and as I spout it off it would soon reveal that I often didn't know very much about that subject (laughs) I, I thought I was impressing folks with my knowledge but instead they were rolling their eyes saying there he goes again So what I learned from that is this, it's better to keep your mouth closed and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. If you share all the details too soon before people are ready to receive them, You can start a groundswell of discouragement before you ever start because human nature tells us to think of reasons why what we're being asked to do can't be done. We think of all the reasons why it can't happen. It's too overwhelming for us. Remember, folks, this same project of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem had already been attempted a few years before and it was shut down. And so Nehemiah knows that the number one thing that he's going to hear once he shares the details of what he's getting ready to do, once he shares those details with the workers, is this. Nehemiah, we've tried that before, and it didn't work. Hello? Back in verse 12, Nehemiah says that he told no one, What God had put in his heart to do for Jerusalem. What I'm saying to you is, you don't jump up and tell everything you know immediately. You wait for God's time, for God's place, like Nehemiah did. I believe in my heart, friends, that God has some really big plans for Trinity Faith Church. Do you believe that? I believe God wants to move substantially through this church, throughout this community. And I I don't know all the details because I don't have them galvanized in my own mind yet. And I'm quite certain that if I did, it might just either scare you or overly excite you to the point where you couldn't focus on what God has for us to do right now. So you can't lay out everything ahead of time and discourage people by being overwhelmed. I do know this, however, God uses human leadership. God gets the glory, but his way to accomplish his work is through us. You've seen the bumper sticker that says prayer changes things? Well, yes, it does, but let me tell you how it works. Prayer changes people, and people change things. That's primarily how God works in this world. Do you think Israel, the people of Israel, would have ever crossed the Red Sea if it hadn't been for Moses? I don't think so. Would they have ever conquered the promised land without a man named Joshua? Would Jerusalem have ever become what it is still to this day if not for a man named King David? Would the gospel have ever penetrated Asia Minor as it was then known and on into Europe and ultimately across the Atlantic to America if not for a man named the Apostle Paul? I love Nehemiah because he's this great leader. And while everyone else was seeing obstacles, Nehemiah saw potential. Even modern day engineers marvel at what was accomplished in the city of Jerusalem in just 52 days under Nehemiah's leadership. And it wasn't paid labor either, it was volunteer. No modern equipment to do it with. They just put their nose to the grindstone and did what needed to be done. Number five, leaders know how to share their vision. When the time is right, leaders will know how to get people on board with what needs to be done. Verse 17, Nehemiah points out what was right before their eyes, but apparently they didn't see as he saw it. They'd grown so accustomed to, to it that they needed their vision restored So for how things were supposed to be rather than how they were. Worse yet, they had accepted that things will never be any different. Does that sound familiar? A lot of us get trapped in that, well, things will never be any different, so why worry about it? You know, it hadn't been a couple of months ago, Brenda and I uh, went to a ball game over here at the National Beef Complex where one of our, our grandsons was playing baseball. Now, I hate to bring up a sore subject, But let's just imagine that you're with me at that baseball game at the National Beef Complex. The smell is so bad that you can't even focus on the ball game that's being played. And at that same time, there are others, maybe even some of you here today, who work at that complex, and you're so used to that smell that you don't even notice it anymore. You know what I'm saying to you? I'm saying, Jesus, don't let me ever get comfortable with that smell. Jesus, don't ever let me get comfortable with the way things are. But help me to pursue the way things can be with your help. No matter how great a man Nehemiah was... He knew that he couldn't do this job by himself. He knew that there was strength in numbers. He knew that he was going to need a lot of help. And the Apostle Paul speaks about this very thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. Did you grasp that? We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. When people work together... We can accomplish much. A few months ago, I was amazed. I I read a lot of stuff. Uh, You know, that useless information that nobody else is interested in. That has an appeal to me. (laughs) And I came across this piece of information about geese, Canadian geese. How many of you have seen Canadian geese along about October or November flying south? What do you notice about them? They're flying in a V formation. Now is that by accident or does it have a purpose? Well, that's what this study was about. I used to think that the reason one side of the V was always longer than the other side is because there were more geese on that side, but there's more to it than just that. The lead goose is splitting the air, cutting the wind... And making it easier for the others behind him. And when he gets tired, he falls back and someone else takes the lead. Now, people much smarter than me have determined that geese can fly 72% further that way than any one of them could have flown by themselves. That's astounding. And you know what's real astounding about it? God programmed those geese to do it exactly like that. And I have this feeling that he wants us to operate in the same way. I'm not talking about flying in a V. I'm talking about cooperating and working together for the good of all. As I look across our church family I get excited when I think what we might accomplish once we all decide to get on board and do it together. How do we do that? Well, it first starts, you remember point one, getting alone with God. And seeing what your individual role is in the big plan of God. I'm not talking about half of us. I'm not talking about 20% who already do most of it already. I'm talking about all of us. We are sitting, friends, on a spiritual powder keg, so to speak. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do the effective work of ministry. And God's just waiting to light the fuse when we all get on board. They said in verse 18, let us. They didn't say let Nehemiah rise up and build. They said let us arise up and build. Henry Ford who was instrumental in forming the first assembly line for Ford cars up in Detroit, Michigan. He was one of the developers of the assembly line. He said, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Thinking together is unity. And working together is success. I love that. Leaders know how to share their vision. They, 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 do you know how to determine, by the way, if you're a leader? Anybody know? It's really very simple. Stop, turn around, and see if anybody's following. Right? If not, you're not leading, you're just taking a walk. Principle number six. How many of you are glad I'm through with that one? Amen. Leaders know how to strengthen their followers. Leaders, by their very nature, are encouragers. They focus not on why it can't be done, but on why it can be done. They help people believe in themselves and in what God wants to do through them. Nehemiah understood that the people's discouragement was at an all-time low. They tried this project before. It didn't work. It got shut down. And so he gives them this powerful, positive message. It's in verse 18. He tells them, God is in this. God's in this. Now that's my translation of it. But once people, God's people are convinced that God is in something, they will always, always, always rise to the occasion and meet the challenge he's put before them. When something fails around here, again... I'll point to myself. When, others, when, when things around here fail, like the Connect group ministry that we started several years ago, and outside of a few isolated groups, it largely fell flat on its face. Why? Well, I believe that it was God's will, but I blame myself for not effectively communicating and selling all of us on the fact that God was in the power of small groups. If I had, all of us would have gotten on board with it and made it happen. And we would be seeing the benefits of it in the relationships that, have, that were developed as a result of those small groups. Several of you over the past four years have shared with me how, about how years ago, when, when this church was in a different location... And things would come up, you, you would step out on faith and you'd get behind something. And, and God used those people to do mighty things that still stand as a monument to this day. Let me just say this, God doesn't want or God doesn't need a monument. He doesn't want us looking back at past accomplishments. God has brought us to a crossroads at such a time as this so that we can tackle higher ground, so that we can move mountains that we never dreamed could have been moved. Nehemiah tells him about what the king had said to him. Why did he tell him that? He told him that to encourage them, to show that progress has already been made. He wanted them to know that the king had given him permission, that the king had given him provision, that the king had given him passage. He wanted to know, this isn't just a pipe dream of mine. The king of Babylon has given us the go-ahead to do this. He, we can make it happen. Nehemiah knew that people don't want to be something of, part of something that's destined to fail. He wants to know that it has good backing behind it. You know, there are times when I share in our board meetings every month about our attendance numbers. Jerry and I do that. Jerry counts every Sunday and he gives us a report and then then I share about our attendance. Uh, Can I just tell you I'm not real big on the importance of numbers? How many of you noticed that that little board out there in the hallway is no longer out there in the hallway? You know why? Because I didn't want people looking at numbers and saying, well, we're doing good or we're not doing good. But I will tell you this. And those times when I do share with the board about our numbers, I'm not doing it to brag on what, we're doing it, on what we're doing. I'm doing it to brag on what God's doing. Why? To encourage us. To encourage us. If God is with us, who can be against us? Oh, I wish I had more time. I still got eight minutes. Lastly... And you know what, why I always say lastly? When I say lastly, I last. Leaders know the value of determination. I firmly believe that you can't be a leader unless you have a little bit of bulldog in you. You can't be easily discouraged, you're determined to forge ahead. Look at verse 19. What happens when Nehemiah shares what God's put in his heart? Verse 19 tells us that these three guys come along. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, servant, and Gashem the Arab. When God's people want to build... The devil will, descend, will send all kinds of dissenters to blast the effort. You remember I, what I told you a couple of weeks ago? The door, somebody's wanting you. The doors of opportunity swing on the hinges of opposition. The door of opportunity swings on the hinges of Opposition. Paul again talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, A wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There is no easy way, there is no lazy way, there is no cheap way to do the will of God, to do the work of God. Uh, A man asked his friends to go get something to eat, and they asked where. He asked where, and they said, oh, it doesn't matter to us, we're easy to please. Okay, well, how about the diner? Now their special today is tuna casserole, and I don't like that. Okay, well, how about let's go to the drugstore? Oh, I don't want to do that, everything there smells like medicine, and makes everything taste like medicine. Okay, so let's go to the Italian restaurant. No, I, I, I just don't like my main dish concealed in a tomatoey sauce. Okay, so where do you want to go? Oh, it don't matter to me. A negative person has trouble recognizing the fact That they are being negative. Leaders understand the value of determination. They're the kind that I'm sure Nehemiah noticed. I can almost envision them leaning back against the ruins of that wall and laughing. That type of negative peer pressure causes others to fail because often others can't take ridicule, so they bow and give in to the pressure. The only way to escape criticism is to do nothing and be nothing. Anything moving forward is going to cause some friction. If you make decisions, they're going to be criticized. You know how I found that out anew and a fresh? I mean, I already knew it, but I experienced it this summer. I coached a baseball team this summer. And I witnessed other coaches and I do mean other coaches, arguing with umpires even though the call that had already been made could not be overturned. Why were they doing that? Because they were were trying to intimidate them to make a call in their favor the next time a call was made. I can honestly say to you that I didn't do that one time this summer. Because I wanted to teach my team more than just the game of baseball. I wanted to teach them how you conduct yourself playing the game. I did notice that some umps have what coaches call rabbit ears. Do you know what rabbit ears are? That's when that umpire begins listening to everything that's being said from the stands and from the opposing dugout. They become very tuned in and sensitive. And when the coach argues with an umpire, their hope is that they will have intimidated that umpire to the point that he will make a call in their favor the next time it comes along. Hear me on this. Leonard, I saw where you're umpiring again. A good umpire will let the chips fall where they may a good umpire, and and will make decisions based on his own convictions. And that's not just true for umpires, friends. That's good for good leaders. That's true for good leaders. Verse 20, Nehemiah says, We, the servants of God, will do the work of God. And this is my translation, by the way. And we're not going to listen to you, and we're not going to miss being a part of what God is going to do. You know, we, we here in this church have some great leaders, but we need more. We're going to need new board members at some point in time. We're going to need new teachers. We're going to need new leaders in many, many areas. And my prayer is today that you'll think about these principles that I've given you this morning from the story of this great man of God named Nehemiah, and that God will begin developing new leaders and the leadership qualities in every one of us. Would you bow with me, please? Friends, this is not a... this is not a challenging message in terms of bringing people to make a decision for or against Jesus. I I give you that. But friends... Most of us here this morning, I'm guessing, and this is evidenced by the fact that when I give these invitations, very few hands are raised when I ask somebody to make a decision for Jesus that perhaps has never done it before. So I'm gathering from that most of us here this morning, if not all of us, already know Jesus, and I rejoice over that. We already have a relationship with Jesus. And that's wonderful. But can I tell you something? Something. Jesus did not call us to bring people to decisions. He called us to bring people into discipleship. Go and make disciples. Isn't that what it says? It doesn't say go and make decisions, does it? It says go and make disciples. You know what a disciple does? A disciple does what the teacher has taught them to do. I'm not the teacher, by the way. Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. And even though opposition comes against it, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against me building my church. And then he said to us, Go and receive the Holy Spirit, and he'll make you effective. In the task of building my church, he's building it through us. So, for those of you who are here this morning, you're already saved, your ticket's already punched for heaven. Do we just sit back and wait for God to take us home to glory? I think not. He wants to make us leaders. He wants us to fulfill the purpose for which he's placed us here on this planet for such a time as this. Holy Spirit of God, I'm asking you to move in the hearts of your people at this very moment. Help us to understand, God, and get a brand new perspective on the monumental task that you have given to us. You have placed Trinity Faith Church on the south side of liberal Kansas. In a, in a big area, a, a community that, that comes to liberal as sort of the centerpiece of their world. For shopping, for commerce, for just doing social things. And God, it's not by accident you've placed us in this place for such a time as this. As they come, for whatever reason, to this area, to liberal Kansas, you've placed a church that takes seriously the task of building your church, bringing men and women and boys and girls to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not my job as a pastor to be responsible for the evangelism outreach of Trinity Faith Church. Your word tells us that you have given pastors to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I'm the shepherd that you placed here for this time, God. And I want to see your flock grow in numbers. I want to see the members of that flock grow in spiritual maturity. And the only way that we can do that is if we all catch the vision and do the work that's needed. I'm praying this morning Holy Spirit that you will if there is any lethargy that exists within anyone in this congregation or or apathy or ignorance may they just understand that the difference between ignorance and apathy is I don't know and I don't care rid us of that this morning Jesus rid us of that And ignite a fire within us, Lord, to do what you've placed us here to do. In Jesus' name, amen.